0: Hello and welcome to Tripcast 360 the show of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment for the voiceless traveler. I am your co-host, Michael Gordon Bennett, and I am joined, as always, by my dear friend, Dave Cumberbatch. Today, we have a great show for you, but it's going to be a little departure from the norm. We're having no guests Instead, we're going to discuss my recent trip to California and what tourists should expect at hotels and airports. And the second half of our show will be devoted to the opening of Las Vegas, as you know, uh, uh, from frequent listeners to our show. I actually live in Las Vegas, so uh, I want to share some tips about what's happening here and and how you can uh, safely navigate in the COVID world uh, your travels to Vegas.
1: Yeah, Michael, I really like this format. You know what? I get to interview you. <laughs> this should be fun.
0: Uh, yeah, I'll 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 try to keep it civil. Um, but you know, it's um, we decided to do this just so you'll know because I think experience is the best teacher. And um, just to give you a little background before Dave gets into the questioning piece of this, um, my son and his family live in Southern California from Vegas to uh, Southern California in the uh, Los Angeles, Orange County area is about 250 to 300 miles, depending on which destination within the LA Orange County region you're going to. In my case, it was Northern Orange County. And uh, the only way to get there, if you don't fly is on interstate 15, which is the primary corridor between the uh, the two destinations and interstate 15 on a weekend uh uh, depending on which direction you're going and traffic is pretty bad um but we left on sunday father's day in the early uh uh, morning hours so the traffic was Doable. I mean, it it took us the typical four and a half to five hours um, to get there, minus one traffic jam in what we call Cajon Pass, which is a uh, mountain pass that you have to drive down to get into the Los Angeles Basin. But anyway, long story short, I, I just wanted to set the backdrop for you to let you know that we did this on Father's Day. We made the trip June 21st, I believe, was Father's Day. And we came back on June 23rd via Southwest Airlines out of LAX. So we will share more of that as Dave uh, begins the interview process with me. So that is the backdrop. And um, Dave, uh, I I stayed at a, a country inn and Suites in Santa Ana, California, which for those of you familiar with Southern California is right off the 55 freeway.
1: Well, I'll tell you, this is the first opportunity that I'm getting to actually speak to someone who actually stayed at a hotel um, since, since COVID. Um, what was it like there in terms of the room? How did they cleaned the rooms, the food, everything. Share your experience at that hotel.
0: Well, the first thing that we noticed when we checked into the lobby was masks are required in Orange County. Um, so when there was a big old sign on the door that we had to put our mask on to enter the lobby. So we get to the lobby, and then there's this big plexiglass between us and the um, uh, desk agents. So right. you know we're, we're talking through this plexiglass. We're handing our credit card to them through this little hole opening. They were in masks as well. And so that was, that was kind of what I expected. The hotel occupancy, I don't know if it was 50% or not, which, is, which appears to be the threshold for most hotels even here in Las Vegas. But because it was Father's Day and we arrived on a Sunday, I'm just assuming that it was just empty uh, for the most part. There were no guests on either side of us at all, none. Um, this particular uh, hotel came with a normally comes with a breakfast that you can go into their little restaurant eat. It's part of the um, service they offer, but they didn't offer that service this time. They offered something called grab and go, which means you can go grab it out of a bag and take it back to your room and eat it. Um, oh wow! Yeah, so that was that. Uh, again, no maid service whatsoever. Being you know for the the. Too nice that we were there. Uh, if we needed something, they would leave it outside the door, and then we would open the door and get it. Um, the gym and the pool were all closed. Um, it, it was basic. It, it, it's like the. I got to be honest with you. It was refreshing. I got to stay at a hotel, and there was no noise. <laughs>
1: how about how about when you first got there? You mentioned that they had the plexiglass up, but were there? Did you see any signs of? Going uh, contact free.
0: Um, I, I guess uh, you know the doors to the um, lobby were those automatic opening doors. You didn't you didn't have to touch anything. Uh, the only thing I can remember touching was when we gave them the credit card, they scanned it into their computer and handed it back to us. Uh, one of the things I noticed, and this is true throughout Southern California, other than when we went to restaurants, which we'll talk about in a moment, nobody has gloves on. The mask, yes, it's required. But the gloves, it, it didn't appear that anybody had any gloves on.
1: Right. But is that, is that as a result of regular folks being reckless or... Or is that more that they don't have that many cases and maybe folks felt a little safer?
0: I don't even think it was reckless. I think the whole focus has been on masks, masks, masks. And nobody has bothered to say anything about gloves, gloves, gloves. And the requirements by law in Southern California in both L.A. and Orange County is the mask. Uh they're not talking about the gloves um I was very thankful that the restaurants that we went to they all had gloves on in addition to the masks, but for the most part, no one's bothering with the gloves um I don't care what establishment we went to other than restaurants. Nobody's bothering with gloves
1: but but my question is from your let's let's look at it from your perspective um, did you take gloves with you um
0: Yes, we had, well, gloves. we had gloves with us. Okay, so you used your gloves. We used ours, uh, my girlfriend, more than me. I used mine kind of sparingly depending on where I was. But I, I'll say this. I was extremely conscious about touching other surfaces. When I, when I had to open a door, I used my elbow. Uh, okay. or, or I made my girlfriend open it because she had gloves on her hands. Um, you know, when I had to use the facilities, I didn't touch anything. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was so um um on top of it that you know I tried not to use the facilities in any public place, just my hotel room wow. um, you know i don 't think I had to do it to that extreme um, but uh you know at my age, I get a little worried you know i 'm interacting with my grandchildren and I want to make sure they don 't get sick you know i 've got my son and his family and and you know i I just I was being overly cautious, but I, I don't have a problem with that. They're my they're my family. I don't want them getting sick. I don't want anybody getting sick. But, you know, right. you, you want to be careful with this type of stuff. Um, you know, no one's really given us the definitive answer on covid, what can and can't, how it is and is not transmitted. I mean, we've heard all the stories. I do believe in the mask system. I'll tell you that right up front, because. You know, breathing through one of those things, you know, you can tell the particles that come out of your nose and mouth don't travel as far as they would otherwise. So, I I, I do believe in the masks. Um, So, you know, that was that. And one other note that I have to mention, and this is specific to Southern California. I've been watching the news media like everybody else, and we're always talking about the rising numbers in Southern California. We have to keep something in mind there are 40 million people that live in the state of California. In Los Angeles County, the city of Los Angeles' population is over 4 million, and the county, I believe, is somewhere around 7 to 8 million. So I don't focus on so much the rising numbers. I think that was inevitable, especially as things start to open. What I'm more focused on is hospitalization rates and stressing the system and making sure people have mass. I think sometimes we get so focused on a number, we don't put the number into context.
1: Yeah, but you have to include, I would include all of that in the equation for me personally.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I and I totally agree. I mean, I, I factor all of those things in too. I mean, the hardest part for me, in all honesty on the entire trip was, the flight home, which we will talk about momentarily, because I kind of wanted to go in a chronological sequence of what I experienced first. But yeah. the flight home, the flight home was the one thing that probably concerned me more than anything else. Okay. Um, you know, we'll
1: so get to, you will know, we'll get to that. Um, what what was it like at the restaurants? Did they still have? Are they still doing buffets? Um, the restaurant staff wearing masks because they're wearing gloves. What was it like there?
0: I didn't see a single buffet at all, zero. And of course, if I had, I wouldn't have gone to them in all honesty. I don't want, you know, people reaching their hands into where I'm getting my food from. I'm sorry, that's just me. Um, but a couple things we ran across my son's got a family of six. So yeah. most restaurants had a cap of six. So <laughs> if it's me and my girlfriend that joined it, that's eight people. So they wouldn't see us. So we got into habit uh, the, the, the very hour we arrived of calling the restaurants first to make sure they could accommodate a party of eight. Now keep in mind that two of the eight are, you know, twin boys who were less than two years old. Um, and we found a few that couldn't, they wouldn't accommodate us because our party was too, too big. Um, so that was what we did. Masks were required in every restaurant we went to, including by the food service workers. So you basically, you walk to your table with your mask on. And then only once you were at the table, were you able to take that mask off? So you obviously can eat, but as you're walking through the restaurant, as they're escorting you to the table, everybody had to have a mask on. So that was uh, something we noticed. Pretty much all the food service workers had gloves on. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the distance between the tables at every place we we, um, ate, and we ate out three times, was 6 feet or more and if there was like tables stacked next to each other the tables on either side of us were empty oh so, yeah, so there, there there was the six feet distance between and honestly, I, I you know, this kudos to the people of Southern California. They practiced what they preached. Every place we went to, the patrons adhered to the rules. I didn't see anybody stepping out of line or, you know, like you hear in the news media where they had to throw people out of restaurants or off of planes because they wouldn't follow the rules. The people in Southern California that we saw all followed the rules.
1: And you had, you had mentioned something to me on y- your return when you were sort of, you know, just giving me some thoughts on what your trip was like. And you had mentioned, if I'm not mistaken, that the rest, when you took your mask off, the restaurants gave some sort of plate or some sort of something that you put your mask on.
0: Oh, yeah, we're going to get to that. That actually happened in Las Vegas uh, at Hell's Kitchen, which is a Caesars Palace. When we get to the second half of the show, I am okay. going to mention that. But just so we're not teasing the whole st- uh, show in advance. <laughs> we went to Hell's Kitchen the night after we got back. And if anybody knows Gordon Ramsey, you know all about the TV series Hell's Kitchen. Well, there is a Hell's Kitchen here in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace. Mm. And uh, I was two months late taking my girlfriend to her birthday uh, dinner because COVID shut everything down. So, long story short, and we'll get into more Hell's Kitchen in just a minute, they actually provided us a special towel on our table to lay our masks on while we ate. <laughs> so, that, that, was, that was pretty awesome. Um, oh, one of the other things that, that I picked up on, it happened in California a couple times, and it happened here in Vegas as well. They're not putting paper menus on the table most of them are giving you a QR code to scan onto your cell phone so you can actually look at the menu from your cell phone. Ah! Only in special circumstances, upon request of the patron, are they actually handing you a paper menu.
1: Even though though I believe, you know, with advancement in technology and so on, I think those soon will be a thing of the past anyhow.
0: Yeah, you know what, in all honesty, it should have been a thing of the past long before COVID hit. I mean, technology has has gotten to the, think about this, how much money does a restaurant spend printing up a menu that you can just transmit to somebody over their cell phone today?
1: Yeah, ridiculous cost.
0: It really is. I mean, and your restaurants are notoriously operating on thin profit margins. They, even the cost of printing promotion materials and menus, that costs a small fortune. So, you know, yeah. everybody's got a cell phone today. So why are we sitting here trying to hold on to old paradigms when we don't have to, exactly. especially in COVID?
1: Exactly. Even though you've been, um, I'm probably guessing it was the first time that you that you were at that restaurant, but did you get a sense of the, the, the percentage of capacity that they're operating at?
0: Um, the first restaurant we went to, which was a breakfast place. Oh, it was IHOP. It was half empty. Now the, probably the reason it was half empty was the time of day we chose to go. It was after the breakfast crowd. So they were all gone. It was like, 11 o'clock in the morning or something like that, because my son had worked late the night before and we wanted him to sleep in to get some rest. So, um, so we avoided the lunch crowd and we avoided the breakfast crowd. Right. Um, The, one of the other restaurants we ate at was around seven o'clock and it was a pretty substantially sized restaurant. And I don't think there were 10 families in the entire restaurant and in the section of the restaurant where we sat, there was nobody there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the restaurant that we ate at the following morning, the same thing. Um, the closest table to us was at least 10 feet away from us. Um, I mean, there was nobody close. So the, the restaurants were being, um, Partially used, Uh, I am going to say the time of day for us mattered a little bit. Um, The the restaurant we ate at uh, the day we morning we left actually had outdoor seating and there were a couple of people outdoors eating. I mean, the weather Mm -hmm. in Southern California was beautiful. I mean, (laughs) uh, for those of you who don't understand the allure of Southern California, here it is, middle of June. It is 75 degrees. That was the high temperature when we were at this uh, restaurant. It was gorgeous. The sun's out, no rain, not a cloud in the sky, a slight breeze. Then I get on the plane later on in the afternoon and land in Vegas at six o'clock in the evening and it was still 106 outside. So, you know, if, if you ever wonder why people don't leave Southern California, the weather is why. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean, and I know your trip was a relatively short trip, extremely short trip. But apart from your hotel stay and the restaurants, and we'll talk about the the, the airport uh, shortly. Apart from that, um, was there anything else that stood out that that you observed?
0: Not really. I mean. <laughs> I mean, everybody else who goes to Southern California, there's two things you always pay attention to, the weather and the car traffic. And And, earthquakes. And, and, well, we don't, (laughs) you know, I mean, Southern California has thousands of earthquakes a day and 99% of them are not felt. So uh, nobody pays too much attention to that. But, you know, the the traffic is the other thing that we think of now. Oh, my
1: God. Yes.
0: Traffic is pretty bad in L.A., but this time, no, I hit a traffic jam one time and one time only. And that was actually on the trip to Southern California. It wasn't once we got there. Um, I I mentioned earlier in our discussion that you take interstate 15, well, about three and a half hours into the trip coming from Vegas is something called Cajon summit. And it's at, it's roughly four to 4,500 feet above sea level. And it's five lanes that go down and it lasts about 10 or 15 minutes on a normal day. This particular day, I think, and we have no empirical proof of this because we never saw it, I think there was a car accident at the bottom end of Cajon Summit. And my normal 15 minutes down the mountain pass took me about an hour. But that was the only traffic jam we saw the entire time we were there, which tells wow. me a lot of people were not on the road. Wow. wow. You now know. you
1: know your your trip day, you stayed at the hotel you share some experiences and some experiences in terms of the restaurants you go to eat. Uh, what was it like coming back? Cause you, you drove to California, but you flew back. Right, what was yeah. it like coming back?
0: Yeah. Because we drove the car to my son. We were leaving him the car for him and his, and his wife to use and, you know, re-registered. That was the purpose of the trip. Coming back was the scariest part of the whole journey for me. I already knew about the hotels and their measures for COVID because we called them on the phone and asked them. So we already knew what to expect. I kind of knew what to expect about the restaurants. California was slowly reopening. I think the restaurants were phase two, but they had certain requirements that had to be met. The scariest part of the entire trip, pre-trip for me, was coming home because I knew I had to go to the airport and I knew I had to board a tube further known as an airplane. Yeah. So I get to, if you know anything, Oh, and by the way, normally I would have flown into long beach airport, which is a small six gate airport where you typically get off the plane on the tarmac and walk into the terminal. Even the baggage claim at long beach airport is outside Give wow. me an idea of how nice Good. the weather is in California. Um, but this time, we could not get a Southwest airlines flight from Vegas to here or to, to, um, uh, Long Beach. So we had to use LAX instead. Um, now I get to LAX and I'm looking around just trying to see. Now I took a bunch of pictures of my LAX. I also got lucky and picked the right time of day to show up at LAX. LAX is, it was three o'clock in the afternoon when we arrived Okay. What's that mean by LAX parlance? Nobody was there. Um, If you know anything about LAX, the uh, LAX has, I believe, seven regular gates plus the internet or seven regular terminals plus the international terminal. Southwest Airlines is, is in terminal number one. They own all the gates in terminal number one. And I think there's like 20 or 25 of them. Yeah. Normally, Southwest Airlines... Terminal one at LAX is packed. I mean, shoulder to shoulder people running into each other and cursing each other because somebody got hit accidentally (laughs) with a bag. I mean, it is normally packed. I arrive at three o'clock in the afternoon. The only person I saw was a police car. Really? Nothing else. Uh, And the bus traffics that go around taking people to where they park in their long-term parking. That was it. So um, my, my son accidentally dropped us off on the, uh, departure level. So we had to go up to the arrival levels to print our boarding pass. And the only reason I had the boarding pass on my phone, I didn't need to print it. The only reason I went up there is because I wanted to see how they were handling check-in. So, you know, I went to the machine and this is the one area my, my girlfriend tried to punch in our reservation number with her glove, but it wouldn't register. So I actually had to do it with my finger. I punched Uh it in, printed up my two boarding passes. I saw that they had one person that was responsible for, I'm guessing, 30 machines that checking you in for your flight. There mm-hmm. was nobody behind the counter. Nobody. I mean, not one flight person back there, nobody. Um, and I saw there was one or two people who checked the bag. They did it all themselves through the machines with the kiosk and the attendant would help them there. Uh, so they did, they did not have to touch a suitcase. Wow. But we, we didn't check in a bag. So we just went straight from printing our boarding pass straight to the gate. So, you know, I read something this morning that uh, or last night on one of the shows on television said that the the TSA was not, uh, you know, they were having issues with cleanliness and COVID-19 and not respecting boundaries and things like that. That was not our experience. When I got to the uh, gate, I gave uh, the uh, TSA agent my driver's license. He plugged it into a system to do whatever they do to check for security reasons. And then um, he had me, and he's behind a plexiglass wall. So we're not having direct contact. contact. Contact, right. Right. So he hands me my dritus. He got ready to hand me my driver's license back. He made me pull my mask down so he could see the rest of my face. It was like two seconds just to verify my ID matched that. And then he told me to pull it back up, and he handed me my driver's license, and off I went. Um, again, keep in mind, there was nobody in the airport. There was one person in line in front of me and they've got the little markings on the floor to keep six feet apart. So we did all that. I got through security and everything else was normal. Take your shoes off, uh, put your bag in a bin. Everything else was normal, normal processing. Um, we stood six feet apart when it, you know, the machine that you go through where it does the body scan. Yeah. We were six feet apart in that as well. You know, they they would not allow you in until the person uh, got out of the machine. And then I got stuck. I had to wait because the lady who had gone through before me was stopped right at the end of the belt where you pick up your luggage and she wouldn't move. It was like she was waiting for her stuff to come to the machine. So I had to sit there for a minute. Now, had the airport been busy at that time, she would have that lady would have caused a traffic jam.
1: But in terms in terms of TSA protocols, how about, how about those trays that you have to put your computer and your, your bags and all that stuff in? Mm-hmm. Were those trays sanitized after, after each pass?
0: I don't know if they were sanitized after each pass, but when I took my uh, briefcase uh, and my shoes out of my bag, I watched somebody clean it. I I can't speak to what happened prior to me grabbing that particular uh, uh, tray to put my stuff in because I I didn't see it because it was already on the other side of the conveyor belt. So I don't know if they actually cleaned it beforehand. But when I took my stuff out on the back end, somebody with gloves on actually cleaned it.
1: But you know what I think would be really practical? Granted, everything comes with with, with an expense. And then there'll be be some conversations in terms of who pays for that expense. But I can see where in today's technology, where a tray would go through with all your stuff. It's, it's on a conveyor belt, which it is right now. It passes through a process that it either gets sprayed or whatever they use to kill COVID. And then it comes back to you and it's already sanitized. So you really don't have to have anyone just sitting there, just sanitizing every tray. I, I can see that really happening, and I can see that being extremely effective because it doesn't slow the process down at all.
0: No, I mean, again, I I, I got lucky and and I didn't plan this, by the way. Uh, I didn't plan to uh, arrive at the airport at three o'clock in the afternoon, which was two hours before our flight, two and a half hours before our flight left. It just worked out because my son had to go to work. And um, the time of day, the only reason I was on that flight. And this is actually one of the things that did happen because of COVID. Um, Normally, there are. 50 or 60 flights a day out of LAX to Las Vegas. Yeah. But because of COVID, they've cut their schedule back. So the last flight of the day leaving um, LAX to Las Vegas actually left at five fifty in the afternoon, which is why I had to get to the airport in a normal environment. There would have been flights till 10 or 11 o'clock at night, several wow. of them. So, wow. you know, part of the reason why I had to go at the time that I did was because there was no flights available to me. Yeah. Um, as regards to the cleaning issue that you just brought up, I can see where there would have been some bottlenecks had the airport been busier, like the lady who didn't leave the uh, scanning area fast enough, and she would have backed up the line. Yeah. Um, I, I can see that. I can also see where, because I've been to LAX before, where they've run out of the baskets to put your, to your stuff in to put the scanner, and you had to wait. Now imagine if somebody has to clean those baskets before they can actually bring them out to you to put into the scanner.
1: Exactly. So there, they there they, they should be some process where uh, that tray um, automatically gets uh, clean, and since it's on a conveyor belt, it comes right back before it comes right back to when you where you enter where you know another passenger getting on. They mm-hmm. take that tray, and that tray's already been sanitized.
0: Right, you know, and again, I—they were all sanitized from my vantage point because, I, like I said, the, the 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 lady took mine and the passenger behind me and the lady in front of me and somebody mm-hmm. sent somebody washed them as soon as we got our bag out. And yeah. now, honestly, uh, honesty—I never even touched my uh, conveyor belt. I put my bag in and I used my bag to slide the the uh, thing into the conveyor belt. So I never even touched it. Oh, OK. um, And so it probably didn't require a cleaning, but they did it anyway.
1: Yeah. No. Now you've checked in, you've gone past TSA. Now the next stop is at the gate, at, at, at the terminal gate. What was yeah. that experience like?
0: Well, it, it was funny because as we were walking to the gate, I actually took a picture. I made my girlfriend take a picture of me. I and she took it over her shoulder. And I said, "Make sure you show what's going on behind me," because we were at Gate 18A, which is at the end of the terminal for Southwest Airlines. So we had to walk all the way through. There was not one person in that photo other than me. <laughs> None. Uh, well, I would I would say that probably two thirds, if not more, of the dozen or so. Um, Watering holes, a.k.a. places to get alcohol, um, the, uh, the um, restaurants and the little convenience stores they typically have where you can buy magazines and snacks for your flight. They were all closed except for one. It wow. was one of those open, one restaurant open and one bar open. When I got to the area where the bar was, there was maybe four people in the bar total. All the bar stools had been removed, which, either, which meant you had to go sit at a table. So there was nobody hovering around the bar like you normally get in an airport when everybody's all hugged together with their luggage, all running into your knees and thing. There was none of that. Yeah. Um, so we go and sit down and we, you know, by our gate, keep in mind, we're still an hour and a half before our plane departs. So I just sat there and I just like, well, let me make some observations, hand sanitizers all over the airport, um, yeah. flight attendants in masks. gate agents in masks. Nobody had their hands covered. I am mean, including the passengers, um, they made several announcements about, uh, you know, you can't get on the plane without a face mask. And if you didn't have one, they would provide one to you before you boarded. If you were stupid enough to try to get past them and didn't pick the mask on the plane, you were not getting on that plane. And they made that very clear. Yeah. So fortunately for us, they were all cooperative. So I'm sitting there at the gate. And I'm still nervous because I don't know what to expect on the plane yet. And so a a flight came in from Oakland while we were sitting there. And I counted the number of people who got off the plane. 61 people got off the plane. Well, Southwest Airlines, the 737-800s that they have are configured to seat 143 people. So that told me right away that the flight was only half full. I didn't know if that was by design or because people were afraid to fly. I eventually learned that it was by design, which I'll explain in a moment. So I I looked around and I said, okay, that's pretty cool. And then some other flights came in and left. And normally, I took a picture of the departure board. I think there were 12 flights uh, scheduled between uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon and 7. After 7 o'clock, there were no departures on the departure board, which tells me that the airport was probably shut down at that point, which is unusual. Like I said, if you've ever flown LAX Southwest Airlines, there are thousands of people in Terminal 1 until midnight yeah there were none this time so um right as we got ready to board and you know how southwest does it if you're in group a you stand up in line here and x if you're in group b you wait until you're you know so anyway southwest changed their boarding procedures they only boarded 10 at a time that's it 10 at a time so if you had like if you had a one through ten a twenty through sixty, or twenty through fifty, or whatever their top numbers—I think is sixty—had to sit and wait in their seats, or were supposed to sit and wait in their seat. But you know how travelers—they get anxious and rush the gate, and the gate agents kept having to push them back.
1: Did uh, they board the, the back of the plane
0: first, or no? Because Southwest Airlines does not have pre-assigned seats.
1: But I mean, in terms of, in terms of COVID. I would think that some folks would be a little bit apprehensive if they have to walk past folks and go all the way to the back. I would think they'll board the back first, but of course that has to be that's part of their policy anyhow.
0: Yeah. They, they didn't board anybody back to forward. They just boarded you by numbers. And and I know I was, um, I was a 45 and Sessie was a 46. And so when we got on the plane, we passed by all the people who boarded us, they were already seated. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was when I finally figured out that Southwest Airlines left their middle seat empty.
1: I was just going to ask you about that. If you, if you, if you observe any families that were more than two, at least three, and if they allow them to sit together utilizing that middle seat.
0: Yes, they did. If you or a family, like, for example, there was a, a lady who was flying who had two preteen teenage girls with her. They allowed the three of them to sit together. But if right. you weren't family or you weren't related, the middle seat had to stay empty. Yes. And I found out that Southwest Airlines is selling with their, their ticketing with the uh, understanding that the middle seat will be left empty.
1: Yeah, so you couldn't take your two girlfriends and expect everyone to sit together.
0: No, no, unless they, not unless they thought we were all related. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and, and we had one problem. There was a pilot who was seated in the passenger section at the back of the plane, and somebody had miscalculated, and the middle seat wasn't empty. So they made the pilot who was jumping to Vegas to, because he was piloting another flight that was even. They made him use the jump seat, and so that they can maintain that social distance. Yeah, so that's good. that's good. Um Now, this just came happened, Dave, right before we came on the air to discuss this topic, and it has to do with social distancing on airplanes. And I and this is in a USA Today article. American Airlines, which has been blocking half the middle seats in the economy since April, as of July first, they're going to end that practice. They are going to book them full. United. Uh, and Spirit were already doing that. So they didn't have a provision in place to keep the middle seat empty, but American is going to join the fray starting July 1st. And this just came, like I said, this literally came on as you and I were signing on the air to do this podcast.
1: But I always thought, I always thought how effect, I always had questions in terms of how effective that would have been. Because the distance between the window and the aisle, I don't know, is probably about six feet so
0: i don't think it's, um, uh,
1: yeah you're right it's, it's i mean how are you any safer being six feet away from the other person as opposed to being three feet away from the other person uh
0: good question first of all when you're sitting on a plane or the tube as i call it um my girlfriend took the window seat i took the aisle seat and left the middle seat empty. Now we could have sat together um, uh, and they wouldn't have squawked because we were together, uh, but I'm so tall. I need the extra legroom. So I was glad no one was in the middle seat, but I was able to just reach out and hold her hand because she doesn't like flying. So I just held her hand. I, yeah. I didn't have to strain. I'm six foot four. I didn't have to ret- stretch, but let's, let's assume for the sake of argument, let's say I decided I wanted to take a nap. And instead of uh, sleeping and reclining in the seat, I decided to sleep lengthwise across the empty seats next to me. I'm tall enough that my whole body can literally stretch across the aisle and land my feet into the seat across from me. So you know we're not six feet apart.
1: So then how effective I is don't know it how re- effective it is. Not, not
0: I don't think it's effective at all, number one. Um, except for from a psycho psychological standpoint. I think yeah. psychology in this day and age of COVID, you don't want anybody touching you that you don't know. Right. Um so psychology wise. Yeah, it probably, um, matters, but, uh, in terms of its effectiveness is stopping the spread. I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I I just play one on a podcast. I just don't see it being that effective, which could explain why some of the airlines are doing it. Of course, the underlying reason is they need to make money. I mean, they were essentially shut down the entire month of April. So most of this is a money play that has nothing to do with health and safety. But, you know, American and United, they said they have other ways of ensuring that people don't get sick. Now, uh, before I get too far down the road, the one thing we've heard a lot about is temperature checks. Yeah. I didn't see a temperature check at the airport. I didn't see a temperature check at the air uh, at a hotel. I didn't see a temperature check at at a restaurant we went to the entire time we were gone. And I haven't seen any in Vegas except for once when I went for my eye exam before we left. They did check my temperature before they allowed me to walk in the front door. That is the only temperature check I've seen now. Um, you know, I have a sister who works at a casino in Las Vegas and the employees get temperature checked when they come into work, but I haven't seen it for the customer. But
1: but let me, okay. You, you took Southwest, Mm -hmm. you, you got back to your home airport, McCarran in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. What was it like at McCarran on arrival? Once you got back there coming through Did you notice anyone picking up their luggage? I mean, what was that like?
0: Well, McCarran was relatively tame considering. And what I mean by that is normally when you arrive at McCarran at the Southwest Terminal, there's slot machines in the terminal. Right there. As soon as you get off the plane, you get off the gate, you walk out to the main aisle, there's slot machines. And there's usually a lot of people playing those machines.
1: And there's slot machines in the bathrooms in Vegas. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I
0: I mean, there was nobody sitting at a slot machine, but they were open. But nobody was sitting at them. Um, Probably two-thirds of all restaurants and stores were closed. Um, Now, you do have to take the train the tram, if you will, from the terminal to baggage claim, which is pretty much where everybody's funneled when you land at McCarran, uh, especially at terminal one. So I'm on the tram. Nobody's practice. It's like the subway in New York, something you're very familiar with. Everybody is packed, no social distancing at all. I mean, you know, these, these things are meant to move people short distances in a quick amount of time. I mean, you know, I, I, was so adamant about not touching anything I, I didn't even grab the pole that's supposed to help you balance and I almost fell on my butt <laughs> because when the thing jerked, Ceci looked over at me and, and she grabbed me real fast so I wouldn't fall on the floor. But uh, so we get the baggage claim. Nobody's practicing social distancing. But even as lax as Vegas has been up until yesterday when our governor ordered everybody to wear a mask in public, pretty much everybody in baggage claim had a mask on. It wasn't overcrowded. But again, that's more a function of the time of day that we arrived at, you know, around 615, 6, No, actually, it was later about 650. Normally, 650. I don't care if it's uh, uh, Monday or Saturday. McCarran is packed at 650 in the evening um, on a normal day of the week. But because of the number of, of reduced flights, um, that didn't happen. Uh, so, you know, the the baggage claim was pretty uneventful. Yeah, people were kind of bumping into each other just a little bit. But had that been normal airport traffic, they would have been shoulder to shoulder, bumper to bumper or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, McCarran wasn't all that bad. Um, just on another note real quick, we were talking about that middle seat. Yeah. Southwest, Delta, and JetBlue say they are going to continue to restrict the number of seats for sale on each flight so that they can keep that middle seat open through September 30th. Uh, whether they adhere to that going forward remains to be seen, but that's what they say according to this story that I'm reading. They're
1: um, not going to. They're getting significant pushback, but the government's are getting significant pushback from IATA for one. Yeah. So who's, who's, who's literally advocating on behalf of the airlines.
0: Right. And, and the other thing, too, is that with the. Um, uh, you know, it, it becomes a money play at some point, at some point, money is going to enter the fray. And of course, if these guys are losing ticket sales uh, and not making money, I don't see them adhering to that middle seat thing either. They all require you to wear masks, but that middle seat's not going to stay empty forever.
1: Yeah. But, but wearing masks is not about revenue. The middle of is about revenue.
0: Revenue, exactly. Um, so McCarran was rather uneventful. Again, most of the things were closed. The thing that really was surprising to me was when we went outside to catch a cab to go home, there was nobody in line. <laughs> and when I say nobody, there was nobody in line. There were about 10 cabs waiting to pick up a fare. But And there's usually an attendant at the airport that points you to the cab, the next in line. There was nobody there. We were it. And I I remember laughing because the cabbie came out, grabbed my bags, put them in the trunk of his car. He didn't have his mask on when he grabbed my bags, but once he got in the car, he put it on. Okay. (laughs) Um, And, I mean, if you know anything about Arrival at McCarran, the cab line is like lengthy beyond belief. You know, 100, 150 yeah. people at a time in a cab. There were only 10 cabs even parked there because I counted them. Yeah. Normally, the line is around the corner, down the hill, outside the terminal. No cabs. Yeah. Uh, and I spoke to the cab driver and I asked him how business was. And he said, it, and he was just shaking his head. He said, it's slow, but there's a good side to that. And, and the good side he said is I'm getting more fares more often because I'm not having to wait behind 400 other cabbies to pick up a fare. <laughs> yeah. Even the Uber line was empty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. No, you got back home from your trip. Uh, you, yeah and um pretty on une- 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 uneventful experience. Um couple of day- a, cu- a couple of days later you decided to take your girlfriend out for dinner at her expense because you're a cheap person.
0: So so <laughs> <laughs> you must not know my girlfriend. <laughs> so you
1: you visited Las Vegas Strip. What were your observations there?
0: Well I I it, it, her birthday was April 28th, but the Las Vegas Strip was closed, and one of her favorite places is anything with the name Gordon Ramsay attached to it. Gordon Ramsay, you just got a free commercial. My girlfriend has eaten at every Gordon Ramsay's outfit in Las Vegas, and there are several of them at various casinos. There's actually two inside Caesars Palace alone. Uh Yeah, she's eaten at all of them. And every time I get an opportunity, Gordon Ramsay you owe me for this. She she wants to go. So there is a Hell's Kitchen at Caesars Palace, just like the TV show Hell's Kitchen. There is actually a Hell's Kitchen at Caesars Palace. Now, normally Hell's Kitchen would be open for lunch and dinner. But because of COVID, they're only open for dinner. So that was our destination. And it also gave me the opportunity to, to lay my eyes on the Las Vegas strip for the first time um, since it reopened. And and keep in mind, the Las Vegas Strip is not completely reopened yet. We are recording this show on June 26th and about a third of the casinos are open. The rest of the casinos on the strip, at least are going to open July 1st, which is just in time for the 4th of July weekend, by the way, which is that weekend. Um, so we get to Caesars Palace. We drove. Obviously, we're locals. We drove. Parking is free at Caesars Palace now. They normally charge, not now. Yeah. Um, so we parked and they had I think the parking garage is like three or four levels. We were able to park on the very first level because there's literally nobody in the parking garage. Keep in mind this is a Wednesday night in Las Vegas, midweek in Las Vegas in the summertime is crowded, but nothing compared to the weekends. So I kind of knew that it wasn't going to be overly packed, but I'd never had the opportunity to compare it to, um, uh, pre you know, COVID and as an aside, just to give you the, an idea, um, on Easter there, uh, we decided to go down to the strip and pick up. They had, you had to pick up your, you can order your food from a restaurant. We ordered ours from Maggiano's Italian food and we drove it back home to eat it. So the strip was closed. So I'm driving down the Las Vegas strip, no pedestrians, except for people riding bikes for exercise. There were more police cars on the strip than there were people riding. Bikes. Were, were. <laughs> it was an absolute ghost town. Um, so I, that is my reference, but I've never seen Las Vegas like that in the entire 30 plus years I've been coming here. So anyway, fast fast forward back to, um, the night we went, so we parked a car, came down the elevator, the elevator that leads from the parking garage into Caesar's palace, uh, social distancing. You're only allowed four people into the elevator, even though it would hold 20.
1: That's a good That's a good thing.
0: Yep. Everybody had to have a mask. So when we got down to the bottom of the parking garage and turned around into the main part of the casino, there was security there handing out masks to people who didn't have them. Mm. And if you didn't take one, um, let me just say they they asked you to leave. They did it politely, but they asked you to leave and you got the memo. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we walked through the casino to get to Hell's Kitchen, which actually sits outdoors. And it was really... I mean, everybody that was at a slot machine, and there wasn't many, but everybody had a mask on. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked by a few gaming tables, but I didn't know the rules for the gaming tables. And this is where my sister came in handy. She works for Harrah's. I'm not going to say which casino. Uh, Harrah's is the parent company that sees palace, if you don't know. And they have certain rules that they have to. Like, for example, my sister deals blackjack. So they limit the blackjack table to three people per table. All have to be wearing masks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, if you play craps, six people total around the table and they all have to be spread out. Um, she didn't go into any of the other requirements for the tables. I walked by the Caesars Palace poker room and it was completely empty. There was not nobody in there. So I'm assuming that that particular thing was shut down at the time. Um, I walked by several restaurants closed. I walked by a couple bars. They were open, but they were all spread out. Uh, the sports book, even though they had limited sports up on the screen, like they had, uh, the, the replay of the NASCAR race at Talladega on one screen, they had, I think Korean baseball on another screen. And I think they had golf or tennis on another screen, but it was deserted. There was nobody there. There were people watching, you know, from the bar at a distance, but you know, you're not gambling on anything. Sports isn't going on. So, um, that was that. And then the buffets, a big pet peeve of mine. The buffets, yes. Caesar's Palace buffet was closed. Most buffets, as I have been able to determine in Las Vegas, are closed. Um, so I don't think even with the reopening of these casinos, even my sister from her casino said, "Yeah, their buffets closed too." Um, so yeah, they're all closed. So. What did the printer? Product- oh, oh, go ahead. No, no. So, you know, long story short, we continue our trek through the casino to get to where Hell's Kitchen is, which is a pretty healthy walk. And then so we walk outside. And the other thing I noticed was no ballet. They're not ballet parking anybody.
1: South self, self-parking and it actually says self-parking is free. I, I yeah,
0: read so, that. yeah, self-parking is free. But normally in Vegas, all the, the people who think they're somebody will valet their car. There is no valet. The valets are shut down because obviously, you know, you don't want some parking attendant driving your car in case the parking attendant has COVID, whether it's on his hands or whether he's not wearing a mask. So they're not valeting.
1: So what are the the rich and the folks who don't want to park their vehicles, but who don't who don't want to self park? What are they doing?
0: uh, They either take a cab or Uber or hire a limousine service to drop them off and pick them up. But there's nobody valeting. Okay. so if you're coming to Vegas and you think you're going to valet this weekend, I would reconsider that before you (laughs) get in your car and come here. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No valeting at all. Um, So that that was another observation. And then as we got to Hell's Kitchen, they only took you by reservation Um, when we walked in. And and this was like this is like Gordon Ramsay to the man. His place was packed. But the way his seating configuration is set up, nobody was within six feet of each other. It, it, I mean, it, it's a master stroke in how to set up a restaurant to get maximum capacity yet having nobody on top of each other. Oh, wow. um, now the bar there is a bar in this particular Hell's Kitchen. It had three bar stools spread out rather far, mm-hmm. and and actually only one of them was occupied when I saw it. And I kept my I, my seat was facing the bar, so I saw it. Um, you know, the, um, the waitress comes to the table, welcomes us. And of course, by that time, I'd already taken the QR code of the menu, but they had a special that night. She shared the special with us via a little card that she placed on the table with a pair of tongs. She never touched it. And so, Mm. you know, both my girlfriend and I looked at the special and we ordered it, which was fantastic by the way, we had salmon and, and, uh, we had some, uh, mushrooms and I mean, uh, Gordon Ramsay knows how to cook <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, his, yeah. or his team. I mean, it, it was great food. I, I mean, I even took a picture of the menu. It was, it was wonderful. And he had some sort of uh, pudding that, that we had for dessert. Fantastic. The, the whole thing was really, really well done by them. And they were you can tell they were on a rhythm. No sooner had we ordered our food than my salad was sitting in front of me. I mean, I was shocked. My salad made it to the table before the cocktail that we ordered. You know, mm-hmm. you know. Normally, you go to the restaurant. The cocktail shows up, and the salad may show up 15 minutes later. Not here. It was mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. all done with precision. Yeah. Um. So, but they going back to what you asked me earlier in, in the show. They actually brought a napkin for us to set our mask on. Oh, gee. And I looked at my girlfriend and we just got we just got a smile on our face. But then she turned around and put her mask on the table anyway. And I said, no, it's for, you know, that's what it's for, because the, the waitress said so. So she grabbed it off the table and puts it on. Um, but I saw them clean the tables thoroughly after customers left. Uh, and I mean, they were on it. I mean, everybody had a mask. All the attendants had gloves on their hands. I, I felt totally safe in the, Gordon Ramsay's. The,
1: Did you feel as though you were getting VIP service?
0: Yeah, actually, we did. I mean, they knew that we were there late celebrating her birthday and stuff like that, and they went out of their way to make us feel welcome. Um, I mean, one of the things about Vegas that doesn't exist in a lot of places, this place is built on hospitality. Yeah. Yeah. You ain't getting no tip in Vegas unless you treat people right and people who work here <laughs> know that. If if you need any further proof of that, ask my sister. Ask your sister. <laughs> um they they're wonderful at it. Even the cabbies got this gift for gab, you know. I mean, we all yeah. know what it's for, but it, it's great that somebody pays that much attention to you. Gordon Ramsay's was was Hell's Kitchen. Kudos to the staff and you felt comfortable and it was also nice. And I've said this before in other podcasts. We are social creatures. At the end of the day, we want to be around other human beings. There was a guy who dropped a mint on the floor across the table from me. He just busted up laughing, and he and I are laughing back and forth and joking and stuff like that about his mint, which rolled on the floor. And then finally, you know, he was able to grab it and throw it in the garbage. But, you know, you know, it's just like seeing people and just like, hey, you know, where are you from? You know, shouting across the room. It was great. I would be willing to venture that most of the people we saw, especially at Hell's Kitchen, were all tourists. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of I can t I you know, when you live here, you can pick off a tourist a hundred miles away. Because a lot of them didn't know the protocols, didn't know the how yeah. you set up reservations, they were dressed in swim attire because the swimming pool Caesar's palace is open. Yeah. Um they were dressed in swim attire, they they didn't understand, and that's typically a tourist. All innocent, they they didn't do anything wrong. It's just that you can tell. Um, So, you know, a lot of times they would even ask people like, you know, the locals here, if they knew you were local or if they can figure out you were local, you know, they would ask you for help, too. So, no, I didn't. Nothing out of the ordinary. Now, I know I've said a lot. I know I've said a mouthful, but I am really going to be curious what's going to happen on July 1st. I know you saw that uh, uh, That article. article about all of the places that are opening on July 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to just grab a quick list of them just to give our, our listeners an idea. Uh, the area opens July 1st. It's one of the most populated casinos on the strip and it's frequented by a lot of especially young people. I've been there for concerts and stuff like that where I was the old man of the crowd. And um, and, and it's a fun environment. Now, July 1st is uh Wednesday. July 4th is the coming this, uh, th- that weekend, which is a Saturday. I have no clue what's going to happen on the Las Vegas strip come Saturday, but I do know this. There are going to be a lot of people with a lot of pent up demand to get out of the house that are going to be coming here. I live with an eyesight of the flight pattern to McCarran. And I saw an article about an hour ago from the Las Vegas convention and visitors authority. The plane capacity into this airport has doubled in 30 days. And you know they've got to be making plans for the fourth of July. Yeah, most certainly. You know, so yeah, the area opens on the first, and uh, I'm not going to read off this list. Uh, this particular article, which will be posted on our website, is from uh, USA Today, and it tells you what uh, areas of the casino are open. Uh, I'm noticing when several bars are open, a couple of gaming areas are open, like high limit, the high limit lounge, which I guess is where you do high limit poker. I, I'm not a gambler, believe it or not. I live here and don't gamble. The um, pools
1: are open, etc. The,
0: the pools are open. I don't know if they have limited hours or not, but they are open. Um, yeah. The Bellagio, which has been open, it was actually opened earlier this month. Um, same thing, No, but no buffets. Um, Caesars Palace is also open. You heard me say that, but there are certain restrictions. Like, for example, I, I mentioned Hell's Kitchen a moment ago. Gordon Ramsay's place is open for dinner only, and normally they're open for lunch and dinner. Um, I don't see – what I don't see on this list that I'm scanning is any um, – any. Uh, uh, shows i don't see any on this list you know normally you got the all the shows with the singers and the comedians yeah, and yeah. The, and the comic shows i don't see any of those on my list, and i'm not saying that they're not there, but I just don't see them
1: but I actually dovetail a bit into a a, a question that I wanted to answer you you are extremely familiar with Vegas are there any amenities that that have become uh synonymous with Vegas that you notice are not? are are, are missing that weren't available
0: i'm just scanning this list right now one of the big attractions to vegas is spas um now i'm i'm just glancing at a few of these here and there are some spas that are open but i would darn sure check uh, if that's what got you here before you showed up here and the other thing that i neglected to mention is most hotels are operating at 50 percent Uh, Capacity. Capacity, right. Right. Now, according to the story I read from the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority this morning, by the end of the summer, they're going to have one hundred and twenty five thousand rooms available. Vegas has somewhere in the hundred and seventy five to one hundred eighty thousand hotel rooms available, available per night anyway. So you know that they're ramping up. But I think in the short term, I think these hotels are still operating on 50 percent capacity. I know my sister's is.
1: Did you notice uh, any any difference in terms of uh, an indoor activity as opposed to an an, an outdoor activity?
0: Uh, I have seen, well, unfortunately, for the people who want to do outdoor activities here, remember, this is Vegas in July. It's 110 outside. Oh, gee. (laughs) I forgot
1: being a sauna in Vegas.
0: Yeah, so you're not going to be doing a lot of outdoor activities anyway unless you're going on, like, tours to Hoover Dam, or tours to the Grand Canyon. Now there are helicopter tours to the Grand Canyon uh, from here. Cause it's only a 30 minute helicopter right away. Uh, I have not seen anything related to those outdoor activities. Um, you know, the, the link, the big Ferris wheel. Yeah. I know the link hotel is open, but I don't know if the Ferris wheel part of it is operational. Um, you know, you can see it from you know a mile away in the sky, but I haven't, I haven't gone down to the strip to see if it's operational. Um, you know, my sister works close by, but um, yeah, all the restaurants that I'm scanning here, the Cosmopolitan is open and all of their stuff, their fitness center, outdoor tennis courts are also open. Why anybody would play tennis in the sun here in the summer? I have no clue. Um but yeah, it, it, Vegas is getting as close a return to normal as possible. But I want to reiterate something, and, and I mentioned this at the top of our podcast. Governor Sisolak, the governor of Nevada, mandated yesterday that masks are to be worn in all public places, no exceptions.
1: And that's a big change from when Vegas first opened uh, a couple of weeks or so ago. I mean, people flop their numbers. They they. It, didn't seem that they were any were concerned anyway about social distancing. So so now that the governor has is requiring folks to wear masks, I'm really interested to see what the impact that would have on the on the um, on the
0: industry. I I am curious too. I think most people would probably go along with it initially, um, you know, just to play it safe. Uh, And, again, I have not noticed anybody flouting the rules of my little journey down to the Strip. Now, in all honesty, I've noticed that up until a couple days ago, people in Las Vegas were pretty lax about wearing protection for masks. You know, my girlfriend has two senior citizen parents. And of course, you know, my um, I just lost my mother, who is a senior citizen. So we wore masks out of an abundance of caution to protect them. But uh, by and large, this place has been pretty lackadaisical about masks, but we don't have a lot of cases here on a comparative basis to everybody else. But keep in mind, our low numbers were solely attributed to our great governor's ability to shut this place down before it got serious.
1: Also, Michael, too, there's a big difference between the wider Las Vegas and the Vegas Strip. Yes. There's a big difference in terms of numbers and social gatherings, etc. Right. So now that the Strip is open, I sense that that would change.
0: Yeah, and and that's a concern of mine. I mean... um you know, because this uh, city employs so many of its citizens at the strip, uh, they're going to really have to go out of their way, not only to protect the employees, but to protect the employees from what the tourists could possibly bring to them. Um, That, that is going to be scary. You know, we have local casinos here too, and these are typically off strip casino properties. Typically anything with the name station in it is a, is a local casino. And a lot of uh, people, uh, locals don't go to the strip. Um, At any time, but a lot of people work on the strip. So I I think that um, we have the potential of being really good about this and really out in front uh, in terms of uh, an experiment, if you will, to practice mass gatherings safely. Uh, that to me, the 4th of July weekend and what happens for the two weeks of, so you know, everybody tells you COVID takes about two weeks to incubate. What happens in the in the two weeks after people come for the 4th of July weekend for me will be a really, really interesting um, experiment into how successful we've been in the city of Las Vegas at keeping COVID at bay. Yeah.
1: And, and uh, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. Maybe this is an unfair question for you. But considering all of this, what you've seen, um, how do you see Vegas changing?
0: Um, I think technology is going to play a bigger role in this. I mean, Vegas is a hands-on town. You know, we we like to interact with our guests. We like to interact with uh, each other. Um, But things like automated check ins that you can do from a tablet or at the car or have somebody just walk up with a tablet and hand it to you and and, and check yourself in. I think that's gonna become more the norm. Um making dinner reservations i mean the reservations i made at hell's kitchen was made through the open door app on my phone uh i think that's going to come more into play i think the qr codes at restaurants are are really going to come into play because you know people can just download that into their phone so i see tech playing a big uh deal in um the future of las vegas It, it just it it was inevitable but i think COVID's pushing it along Yeah.
1: What are some of the casualties that that you expect to see and casualties not in terms of human life, but casualties in terms of uh, business, hotels, restaurants, et cetera?
0: Well, I I, I think it's going to take several years for the casinos to recover financially from being shut down for such a long period of time. I mean, two months is a long time by any business's standards, but a place that's so dependent on tourism is one. But the other thing is the convention business. You got to remember, there's only two places, well, maybe three places in the entire United States driven by tourism and convention business. Vegas and Orlando are by far the two largest destinations that are driven by convention business. And I have not seen conventions rebooking here yet. So that's going to be a casualty. Uh, I mean, when CES, which is our largest convention, was here in... um, January. I think it was the last truly big mega convention the city hosted before things started to turn sour with COVID. So that is going to be a big, big, big casualty here in Las Vegas until the convention business can uh, jumpstart itself again. Uh, And that may not, I, I don't anticipate that happening this calendar year. I just don't. And there's a lot of support businesses to uh those you know the people who you know do set up the floors for the conventions all the signage that goes with the convention those are side businesses here in las vegas that are very profitable they're not going to be making any money this year they're just not
1: all right but give me the good news
0: the good news Hmm. we're opening cautiously i am cautiously optimistic that this experiment that we're trying in terms of getting things open again is going to work. The enthusiasm for the locals is through the roof. The people here are, ang- I'm, you know, my sister was laid off for a couple months and she, you know, she told me yesterday she was happy to be back at work. And, you know, she didn't, she was not, she's not the kind of person who likes drawing unemployment. Um, she just doesn't, That's not her DNA. I mean, even when we went through the recession back in 2008 and 2009 and she lost her job for two years, unemployment for her was like hard to take. So she was happy to be back. And most of the local people who live here have that same attitude. They would rather work. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hopeful that some of the measures that are put in place will actually, uh, protect the people. Um, and, encourage them to come. Like I said, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at us. Think about the sporting events. Okay. That's another big draw for Vegas right now. The guys who would typically come here, well, this is July, but let's say, uh, in September, football is a big driver of tourism in Las Vegas over the weekends. You know, people from California come here and gamble, not to mention the fact that we got the brand new Raiders stadium about 10 minutes from my front door. Yeah. all of that's suffering right now. So to get the city back on its feet and to kind of socially experiment with what we're doing so that maybe the NFL, the NBA, major league baseball can see some of the stuff that we're doing and incorporate that into their platforms. But it's only going to be after we experiment and see what's working in Vegas or what isn't.
1: Well, for this show, we certainly decided for you to, share your experiences i'm certain our listeners uh will benefit significantly from not just from you from you being in vegas and you going out to the restaurants and you're observing what's happening but actually from your trip uh to california and back to vegas and what you've noticed uh what's, what what we believe will work and what we believe can't work i see this as tremendous benefit to our to our to our viewers and to our uh, and to our audience.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping so. You know, again, at the end of the day, I just wanted to share because I know if you're sitting around watching television news all the time, they just put the fear of God in you. and yeah. and, and there is a place for that. I'm not suggesting that there's not, especially you know for the. At- at the time of this recording, 125,000 people who've lost their lives in the United States alone. I'm not trying to minimize that by any stretch. But at the same time, we've got to find the right balance until we get a vaccine. And I thought people should hear the truth from somebody who actually did travel, as opposed to what the media is regurgitating from somebody else. And that was the purpose of this show. And I know like I said at the top, it's a departure from our normal show. Normally we would have a guest sharing this, but I actually did this not as an experiment for our listeners. I just happened to turn it into one because I did it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: um, I, I appreciate you, uh, uh, Playing the interviewer. <laughs> playing the interviewer, playing. Uh, instead of us doing it together for a change, you get to interview me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I, at the top of the show, I typically tell our viewers how they can get a hold of us, which I neglected to do, so I will do it here. Uh, if you have interesting travel stories to share that uh, uh, are not COVID related, of places you've been destinations you would like to share with us. um, You can send those uh, to us via email at contact at tripcast360.com. You know, Any great vacation story that you have had previous to COVID, please share it with us. And uh, who knows, maybe you will get to be on our show and Dave and I will both be getting to interview you. Um, You can also follow us on all of your favorite podcast outlets, whether it's iTunes, Google, um, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We are on all of those. And if you forget any of that stuff, you can always find us on our website at tripcast360.com. And we also have social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and our YouTube channel, by the way, is something that is new. We only put five minute clips with video of each of our, um, our our podcasts on YouTube so that you can get a feel for us. And then, you know, hopefully you'll click over and not only subscribe to our YouTube channel, but uh, also um, click over and listen to the entire podcast to become part of our family. So with all that, my friend Dave, I think it's time to say goodbye.
1: Yeah, I will say so
0: long. All right. Until next time, this is Michael Gordon Bennett with my dear friend and co-host Dave Cumberbatch. Until next time, we'll see you soon.